listening to a Clovis Hills podcast, you're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Morning, Clovis Hills. How's everyone doing? Oh my gosh. It's so good to have people in the room. Um, Hey, two things. Do me a favor. During this service, um, whether you're online watching right now or you're in the room, pull out your phone. And uh, if you are on Facebook, do us a favor, share the service right now. You have no idea just how God has been working when you guys do that. How just random people all over the country are to, like kind of watching. Uh, people are getting saved. I don't, I don't know if you realize this. While we weren't gathering indoors uh, pretty much through the month of August and September, we baptized people every week. That's crazy. It's just an awesome thing. We have people that had never been on our campus and came and got baptized, right? That's a good thing. Their first time here is when they got baptized. Pretty crazy. So I, I encourage you to do that. Um, also, welcome to our Old Town campus. They're watching right now. And good morning to you guys over there. And how about we say hi to Old Town? Ready? Go. They can hear you. They can hear you. We got room mics on. It's, it's, it's all good. We're glad you guys are with us. Um, Last couple weeks, you know, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter for a long time. But the last couple weeks, we, we paused on one passage in Peter 2, and we talked about politics. And I got everyone all up in an uproar um, talking about politics. And that happens, right? That's just kind of how, how it works. And um, I was really glad to be done with that, though, because I'm tired of making you guys mad. And I was excited to move on in the scripture. And then I went to the next scripture, and it's on slavery. And the one after that is on women submitting to their husbands. So um, I'm planning on the Apostle Peter is going to get me canceled in 2020. So anyways, uh, I, um, I heard a story recently of a guy who's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And um, very powerful, very well known, lots of money, like thousands upon thousands of employees working for him. And him and his wife were on vacation over the summer. They were going through the Northwest. And he was run, they were driving through it. And he was running low on gas. So he pulled over at a gas station to get gas. And he had to go to the bathroom really bad. And if you've been to the Northwest, they don't pump their own gas. It was by law for many years that someone else had to pump their gas. So he pulled right in. And uh, he didn't even look at the gas station attendant. He just jumped out and ran to the bathroom. Because when you got to go, you got to go. So he went finished his business in the bathroom, and as he's walking out of the bathroom, he sees his wife is having this incredibly animated conversation with the gas station attendant. Like, hands flailing, and she's smiling, and all of a sudden she just goes, and wraps her arms around him and gives him this huge hug, and they're talking. He's just kind of standing there watching at the bathroom door going, what is going on here? And then they finish talking, she gets back in the car, and he's like, okay... So he, get, he just doesn't say anything. He just gets in the car and they begin to drive off. And he's like, hey, um, what was that? Who was that? And she goes, oh my gosh, you have no idea. That guy was my first boyfriend ever in high school. My, my first love that I ever had. And he was like, oh. You know, and he, in his head, he's like starting to feel pretty good about himself. He's like, oh, your first boyfriend pumps gas for a living. And you married a Fortune 500 CEO. <sighs> because ladies, you don't know this, but we are, men are 90% ego, 10% muscle, okay? As you get older, fat. But anyway, so 
He's feeling really good about himself. And they're driving. It's just kind of quiet in the car. And he finally, he can't contain his ego. And he goes, honey, I know what you're thinking. And she goes, what am I thinking? he goes, well, you know, you're just incredibly grateful that you married a Fortune 500 CEO instead of a guy that pumps gas for a living. She goes, no, that's not what I was thinking, actually. And he goes, yeah, I was actually thinking if I married him, he'd be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and you'd be pumping gas. See, see the, the, sometimes in marriage, sometimes in relationships, right, we're, we're on a different wavelength. We're thinking different. And I'm going to read a passage this morning that, um, one, it, it might raise your eyebrows a little bit. And then we're going to talk about it. Because I want to remind you about the scriptures first and foremost. The book of 1 Peter was not written to you. It is not all about you. It was written for you, but it was not written to you. So you have to understand that. And then as we begin to, to kind of unpack what Peter is saying to these uh, Christian women, these Christian men in this passage, um, you're going to find it has, doesn't really have a lot to do with marriage, this passage. It actually has more to do with a heart posture that every one of us, whether you're married or single or divorced or, or widowed or what, wherever you're at in your life, it's a heart posture in relationships that really we need to look for in, in this passage. So I, I'm going to read it. It comes out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And I would love it if you're able to, if you would stand in honor of God's word. Wives. In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over with words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. See, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God, and you, they used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is God's word. You may be seated. So some of you are like, "What? that was not fair. Like there's seven verses and six were pointed at women. And the guys get one like, hey, take care of your wife. She's weaker than you. Um, I get it. I saw, I felt your blood pressure rising, ladies, in the room. We're going to get there. Bear with me on this. I want you to understand some context to this, to this passage and who he's writing to. And, 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 and then, then we can understand better how it applies to our life. Okay? So for, first and foremost, um, he's just gone through a passage where he was talking to servants. He's like, servants, obey your master, submit to them. If they don't know the Lord, they're going to see your submission. They're going to see how you work hard, how you do all that. And they're going to see Jesus in it. Now he's saying to the wives, hey, if, you, if your husband's not a believer, submit to him and, 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 and win him over. And um, I, I just, I, I want to 
Well, number one in your outline, we'll just go right to it. Okay, number one is this. If you have your outline and you're taking notes in the Clovis Hills app, it's ancient relationships. And um, so, so, yeah, Peter does talk to the women, uh, six verses, and, and, and the men one. But let, let me under, explain to you what's going on. I don't know if you realize this. Many times when we read the Bible, we read the Bible with a 21st century modern American lens. So right away, we all think as individuals. Um, ladies, you probably don't have your husband think for you, right? Uh, I guess this service does. Last service was like, amen, right? So th- you, you think as an individual. You make your own decisions. You're your own person. You do that. And, and th- that's kind of how we operate. But I need you to understand, in many parts of the world today, a majority of the world today, they don't, women aren't treated that way. As a matter of fact, in the ancient world, women were not treated that way at all. And it, ha- ladies, how many of you like your freedom, like being an individual? Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, um, yeah, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. But here's what I want to let you know. Um, all of that is owed to Jesus. He changed the world the way he treated women. The whole world at that time viewed women as property. That's the, way it, that's the way it worked back then. Jesus was the first rabbi. He started taking women disciples. Um, when Jesus was resurrected, it was women that found him first. Um, and if they made up the resurrection story, they would never have women find him first. Because women in that day, they, they, they couldn't testify in court, court because they were too emotional, is, is what it said. And their, their word didn't count in a court of law. But women were there all the way along. And then Jesus, Jesus is showing to the world that God made man and woman in his image, he made them equal. And then you get to the Apostle Paul, and by 54, 52 AD, the Apostle Paul writes these words that had never been spoken, never been uttered, never been written in all of human history. In 10,000 years of human existence, it had never been written, but Paul says, in Christ, they're neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, all are one. That was a preposterous statement in that time. See, because in the ancient Near East, as, as Peter is writing this letter to these Christians that are living in Asia Minor at this time, you have to understand what it was like to be a woman at that time. Because when you understand what it's like to be a woman at that time, what you will find is this scripture is actually highly encouraging to them. We read it and go, oh, oppression, patriarchy, Peter is mansplaining us. But listen, he's not. See, if you were born a female, you were your father's property. And the same rules that applied to his livestock applied to you. And hopefully you would grow up. And he would be able to marry you off because if he married you to another man, he got like 12 goats and 14 chickens and a spoon and something else. He got stuff for you because you were property and that's all you ever knew. You grew up thinking you were property. And you weren't allowed to speak unless spoken to. You weren't allowed to do what, do what you wanted, go where you wanted, dress how you wanted. You were property. And then you would get married, right? Oh, you think I found that man. No, 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 no. He'd go find you a man. Hopefully one that had money so he could get it. And then he would transfer his property, you, to him. In the ancient Near East, I don't know if you know this, but women were not allowed, you know, if you didn't like your husband, if he was 
abusive to you or he was mean or he didn't provide or he, whatever it was, you were not allowed to leave your husband. If you left your husband, the penalty was death. But your husband could dismiss you at any point. Like, eh, you're getting kind of old. I want a newer model. This is the world these women lived in. Roman nobility, they had no problem killing their wives just for the heck of it to get a new one. As a matter of fact, um, Josephus, the, the Roman historian, he writes about one of the senators of Rome, Ignatius. And Ignatius um, had his wife beaten to death because she was drinking wine. Because women weren't allowed to drink wine back then either, too. Some of you are like, man, I'd be dead. I'd be D-E-D, dead. You have no idea how good it is to hear people laugh when I'm preaching. <laughs> I love you guys online, but sometimes I'm like giving gold and I'm like, this is, and I have no idea what's going out there. And you guys are like, oh, notification. Oh, I'm going to get some milk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so see, this passage, think about it. You're a woman and you're married to this man, you're in his family, and this man has worshipped some other god his whole life, his whole family. When a man became a Christian, the way it worked, everyone just went, oh, well, dad is a Christian now, so we are. They, they just culturally think that way. That's the way it would work. But you become a Christian, and this man has worshipped another god his whole life. His father worshipped that god. His father's father, all his children, grandchildren. For a thousand years, they've worshipped this god, been part of this religion. And you are his property, but all of a sudden, you become a follower of Jesus. And God has commanded you not to worship idols anymore. And you're going to worship Jesus. Here's the thing. You were in a dicey situation. This is who Peter's writing to right now. So hopefully your blood isn't boiling as much now. Hopefully you have some compassion for these brave sisters that went before us. This is who Peter's writing to. Women that really were in a, a dicey situation. They're kind of like pastors in the 21st century COVID era. Like if I wear a mask, I'm like, oh, he's a sheep. And then if I put one on, they're like, or I take it off, they're like, oh my gosh, he's killing everyone. Listen. Not, well, you. But anyways, <laughs> someone said, no, you don't. Um, I, this passage, though, isn't about marriage, so you know. It's not about marriage whatsoever. It's about winning people to Christ. People that, are, that don't know God and how you do that. And see, the way you always do that, that Peter keeps doing it, it's through submission. It's through our kindness. It's through our gentleness. It's through all that. It's not through fighting. Matter of fact, I was listening to a message recently from a, a civil rights legend who uh, walked with Dr. King for many, many years. And he was talking about um, the modern civil rights movement that's going on among us. And he said, you know, the difference between today's movement and the one we were part of is, um, you know, in, in, the, in the 60s, we took the abuse. We took the fire hose. We took the dogs. We took the beatings. And because we passively, through pa through passive resistance, took the punishment, we won the country. Do you get it? Like they, they kneeled and they won the country. And he goes, today I see many of my brothers and sisters trying to win the country by fighting. And that's not the way of Jesus. That's how Babylon fights. 
That's how Babylon thinks they win. But if you're God's people, you're Zion. And we do it differently. So, look what it says in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. If you guys could put the scripture up for me. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Calm down. Why? Why does it say that? So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Because their wives couldn't be like, you need to go to church. It doesn't work that way back then. I know some of you got your husbands to church that way. Like it's a style of witnessing called nagging. But, and it works in this day and age. But listen. You may not convert them to Jesus, though, by nagging them. But he, he says here, he says, So they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And then he talks to the husbands, right? And look what it says in verse 7 to the husbands. We move down to the bottom of the passage. It says, husbands, in the same way, in the same way. So he's saying ditto, okay? All that stuff we talked about, same thing, ditto, because... Um, you can, the husband could become a Christian, but that doesn't really mean the wife made that decision to follow Jesus. She's just doing what's culturally appropriate. Some of you in this room, you're Christians by a cultural affi- affiliation because your parents were. You're actually not a Christian. You belong to the religion of Christianity, but you don't belong to Jesus until you're born again. And it says here, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Calm down, ladies. When he says weaker partner, here's what I need you to understand. Um, We know scientifically that men are typically stronger. They have more muscle mass than women. And I know this. I am probably twice, maybe three times stronger than my wife physically, but she's the strongest person I've ever met. This is what Paul is, or this is what Peter is talking about here. That though you might be physically weaker, that doesn't mean anything in God's kingdom. As a matter of fact, weakness in God's kingdom ends up becoming strength anyways. And he says to these guys, he says, um, treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you, which was unheard of at that time because women, your wives, were property. And now Peter is saying, no, they are heirs with you. They come alongside you. You're at a, you're at a common goal. And, and then it says, of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Guys, are you with me? Hold on. Wake up for a second. I want to tell you something. It seems to be equating here in this scripture that how... You treat your bride is directly correlated with God hearing your prayers. That your spirituality is directly correlated with how you treat your wife. Now I want you to know something. I stand up here as a fellow struggler. I can be quite the turd. But what Peter is alluding to is that we can know the Bible backwards and forward. We can go to church. We can pay our tithes. We can be in a growth group. We can be in classes. We can, you know, have a big Bible and highlight it a lot and read it and, you know, and vote the right way and look the right way and talk the right way. And we don't cuss and we do all those things. And if you're a jerk to your wife, you miss the whole point. So again, this isn't a marriage sermon, though. If I did that, it would be from Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 talks about how women, how wives submit to their husband and then how husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. And that whole passage in Ephesians 5 is prefaced with this one verse, that, which really is the key to all relationships. And it's Ephesians 5.20, if you guys could put that one up. 
In Ephesians 5.20 it says this, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, every relationship, whether it's with your boss, with a spouse, with a friend, with an enemy, if you're in Christ Jesus, you've been called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to defer to the other. See, in Babylon, you speak your mind. But in God's kingdom, we, we defer. I want to talk to you about individualism, toxic individualism. That's number two on your, on your thing. So the term toxic individuality has kind of come up in uh, psychology. It's, it's a term now. And re- really what's happened is what we have seen in our culture is that um, we have become so much individuals now, we've lost that sense of community. We've lost a sense of family. You can be in a family and walk around and just be an individual all day. And it's all about you. It's what you want to buy. It's what you want to do. It's your pronoun. It's your sex. It's your gender. It's all on and on and on. You get to pick everything. You can pick up Amazon and buy whatever you want. You can get in your car, drive wherever you want. You can get on, you know, get on your phone, watch whatever movie you want, download whatever book you want. It's all, the whole culture is centered around the individual now. And here's what's happened is we have lost our sense of community. We've lost it all. And our individualism has become toxic. Where the thought of deferring to the other person sounds ridiculous. And see, the essence of sin is our arrogance. It's our individuality saying, God, I know you made me, but I'm going to do things my way. See, many people, they think they know God because occasionally they agree with God. They're like, yeah, yeah, I like this stuff about you, but, you know, this stuff, come on, it's the 21st century, i got to do my thing. And the essence of sin is saying, God, i got to do my thing, I know better. It's vanity. It's individuality. And it, individuality is not all bad. I'm not asking us to join a cult and all wear the same thing and shave our heads and wear Nikes and get on a spaceship. But, as Rick Warren said in the first line of the purpose-driven, purpose-driven uh, life, he said, it's not about you. This life is not about you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not about you. About me. No, I'm kidding. Don't say that. (laughs) See, the essence of salvation, though, is different than sin. Sin is the individual. It's me. It's what I want, what I want to do. But the essence of salvation is submission, is Jesus, your way. I don't even like your way. I don't even know how to go your way. I'm not even good at going your way. But I am submitting my heart. I'm surrendering my way because I know my way is sin and your way is the way to life. That's salvation. That's to be born again. See, and you, it's it's crazy to me to think that we just do this on our own. We do it together. The faith was always created to be a together thing. So look look what it says. I want to keep going in the scripture. I'll I'll go too long. It says in verse 3 through 6, it says, Your beauty, ladies, talking to ladies, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold jewelry, and fine clothes, Rather, it should be from your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past put their hope in God and used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called her Lord. You are her daughters 
if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So some of you, you're like, so is the Bible telling me that I just need to be Amish? Or like wear a prairie dress and a bun and no makeup, no jewelry and any of that. And here's, here's what I want you to understand. That's not at all what it's saying. It's saying, it's, try, it's trying to get to the true heart of feminism. See, in Babylon, I, feminism is the ultimate crock ever. I want you to understand that. You ever look at like these so-called feminist magazines like Cosmo or Elle or Vogue or Teen Vogue, Teen Vogue or any of those. And they're always like, oh my gosh, you're your own girl. Make your own decisions, girl. Go, girl. And then they're like, 47 ways to get a man. 47 ways to look sexy. 47, like it's garbage is what I want you to know. It's a half truth. It's from the devil. True feminism says this, that God made you wonderfully. And it's not saying you, you, you can't wear a ring or you can't do your hair or you can't look good. What it's saying, though, is if you find your identity and how you look, you will be disappointed one day. I'm just letting you know. It, it all goes south. See, although the passage isn't about marriage, like, Marriage ultimately was created as a partnership. So in, in the Bible, God created marriage. Now here's the thing. Marriage as we see it today is not how God created it. Here's the thing. As human beings, we broke it. Look at your neighbor and say, we broke it. I broke it. My sin wrecks my relationships. My rebellion from God wrecks my relationships. My selfishness, my betrayal of God, all of that wrecks my relationships. This is why marriage is in the state it's in today. It's, it's never been great after we broke it, after humanity sinned. And I love what it says in Genesis 2.8. God had made Adam. He had made the earth. He had made all the animals. There's no sin in the world. It's perfect. And then God looks at Adam, and he's called everything good except this one thing. Genesis 2.18, he says, The Lord God said... It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And now the lady's blood pressure rises again. Helper. Oh, my, you're like assistant now? My, you're little helper? <laughs> Listen, the word helper in Hebrew, it's a, it's a Hebrew word named ezer. And it, what it really means is to come alongside for a common goal. It's a partnership. Okay, LeBron doesn't get the title without Anthony Davis. Michael Jordan doesn't get the rings without Scotty. Some of you are like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Wizards. In your face. Okay. Anyways. Sports people got that. It means that they come along for the common goal. Marriage was created that a, a, a man and a woman would come together and that their life, their common goal would be to glorify God in doing their jobs, in the raising of their children, um, in, in, in how they live their life, and how they worship, and how they do their finances, and how they do everything. That's what marriage was created for, but somehow in our culture it became for personal fulfillment. And it's, I'm going to meet that person, and they're going to fill my heart up with love, and, and, and make me whole, and complete me. But again, you guys hear me say this all the time. If you're looking to another person, whether it's a spouse or your children, to complete you, to, to fill that void, you will crush them under the weight of your expectations because no human was ever meant to do that. God was made for that. So, I want to jump down to the last point, gospel sincerity. 
See, Jesus, when you become born again, Jesus actually, here's, here's what happens, is he takes the old you, the toxic individual that's all about yourself, that's all, you know, that just, you know, I, I'll, I'll love you if, if you meet my needs. I love you because you make me feel this way. Like our love, all of it has, has limits to it. But what happens is when Jesus gets a hold of you, he teaches you to lay down the toxic individual and become the person that God's created you to be. He reconciles you to the one that made relationships. But you have to make that decision. And here's the interesting thing. In John 13, 1, I love this passage. John 13, 1, Jesus is, it's his last supper. He's, it's the week before he's about to die. And he's sitting at dinner, having the Passover dinner. And he... He's looking around, and it says here, it says, having loved his own. So he sees his disciples, and he loves them. He's been with them this whole time. He says, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. See, and from thir chapter 13 on, Jesus launches into what theologians call the passion narrative. And what that is, is from that moment on, it was time to die. It was time to go to the cross. And the next, all the rest of the book of John is about Jesus going to the cross, Jesus on the cross, and Jesus' resurrection. And see, Jesus, he, my love, your love, our love has limits to it. We will love up to the edge. All of us have a different edge, right? And when someone's betrayed us enough, we, you know, we, we step away from the edge. But here's what I want you to know. God's love, Jesus' love, it says right here he loved him to the end. That Jesus gets right up to the edge and he jumps for you. There's no end to his love for you. See, our love stops at a certain point when we've been betrayed too many times. But Jesus just loves through our betrayal. We betray Jesus all the time. Every time we disobey God, we're betraying God, but he just keeps loving us through it. And, and it's not just you personally. It's all of us accumulatively. I want you to think about that. Think about, um, you know, we love to a limit. We love till we're forsaken. Jesus loves through forsakenness. I don't think we fully understand what he did when he was on the cross. It's almost like, like we, don't, we don't understand the level of our sin and, and how it broke God's heart and how it, it pushed Jesus off the edge. It's almost like we're three-year-olds. And, and, and you know, if a, if a three-year-old looks at mom or dad, and mom or dad has been crushed by the betrayal of their spouse, that three-year-old can't feel the weight of that betrayal. He knows in his heart, well, something's wrong with mom or dad. And he knows there's pain there, but he can't feel that. And I honestly believe that's how all of us are about our sin to God. But maybe this morning, maybe this morning, like it says in the Old Testament, that your heart of stone has been pricked and it's turning into a heart of flesh. And you're starting to realize just how loved you are. See, he loved you to the end. And why would you deny such a love? See, God, God's going to give you the choice whether you follow him or not whether you receive him or not. It says in the Bible, but as many as received him, in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. 
And God gives everyone that choice. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone listens, I will be with them. And for some of you, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, but maybe you just forgot who you were. And you've been going your own way. And you sense the heart of God reaching out to you today. Don't be ashamed. It's okay. Come home. Come home to him. For some of you, you realize you were culturally a Christian, but you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Don't be ashamed. You're here today for a reason. God, Jesus knocks at the door of your heart. Today's your day to receive him. And for some of you, you still have your doubts, but there's this nagging thing. That's called the Spirit of God. And the sooner you surrender to it, the greater the journey is going to send you on. Let's pray.